And then now we're going to move into our preaching part of our service. I have the, the privilege of introducing our guest preacher today. Our guest preacher is Peter Showbloom. He is our associate superintendent of the Central Conference. Um, so if you're unaware, we belong to the Evangelical Covenant denomination. And he has been an integral part in coaching and supporting our leadership and Pastor Zox and I in our transition here at Newcom. And he's been meeting with our leadership team and meeting with Zox and I and just a real encouragement to our staff during this time. So I'm excited for you to hear from Peter this morning. He has been doing church consulting and revitalization work within the church for over 30 years. Um, so I've already learned so much from him and I'm excited for you all to get a glimpse of who Peter is and who has been behind the scenes supporting Newcom. So thanks, thanks for Kate. being here. Bless you. Thanks. Let's pray together. And now, our God, we ask that if it pleases you to let us preach. Um, all of us come here today to hear a word from you. And so through your spirit, we pray that this will be your word. Um, I, too, need to hear a word from you. So speak through me, speak to me. Together, let us celebrate your word. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's an honor to be here at New Community um, Covenant Church. And um, it was an honor to be asked to preach. I've had a very good time getting to know your leadership team, getting to know you a little bit, and to also understand that this is a congregation that's in transition. Um, what transitions look like are very interesting. And we're going to talk about it, but um, I'm not sure that it's really true that just your congregation is in transition, but I work with many churches. We have 107 churches in our conference, and I work with a lot of congregations, and as I work with them, I notice that transition is a common theme with all of them. The things that have worked in the past are not the things that are working toward the future, and we have to be able to know how it is the Spirit is leading us to respond to the culture that we're in. So that becomes pretty important, and it's an important part of the sermon and what we're going to talk about today. Um, but before we get going any further, um, you often hear this in church, turn to your neighbor and say, and then it's usually something like God is good or, you know, just something like that. In this case, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, um, these are the things that I ate last night. And not say, these are the things I ate last night, but tell your neighbor what you ate last night, okay? Ready? Go. Okay, you guys must have ate an awful lot because it just kind of keeps going, right? And so I, I want to ask you to do one more thing. Okay, wow. It's, some people are not just saying what they ate. They're explaining how they went about the process making it, I think. So, um, okay, one more thing. This is a gorgeous, gorgeous church. And we're sitting here in this place where sound echoes all over the place. So when I count to three, I want you to yell out what you ate last night, okay? 
you got some kind of fixation on food or something? Yeah, kind of. But, okay, ready? Just do that. One, two, three. That was loud. That's good. That's good. Okay, I don't know what you said, but I'm sure God heard and he understands, okay? It's just, that's a joke. Um, anyway, the reason I'm bringing this out and I want us to concentrate on food is because I'm going to read a passage of scripture. And, um, and I guarantee it's not, it's not a text that you read or listen to a lot in church, but here it goes. Out of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 11, it says this, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Say to the Israelites, Of all the animals that live on land, these are the ones you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and that chews the cud. Okay, now we're going to go on. There are some that only chew the cud, or only have a divided hoof, but you must not eat them. The camel, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is ceremonially, ceremonially unclean for you. The hyrax, anybody here know what a hyrax is? I don't either, but word is that it makes really a heck of a barbecue. And that's a joke too. Um, Though it chews the cud, it does not have a divided hoof, and it is unclean for you. The rabbit, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof, so it is unclean for you. And the pig, though it has a divided hoof, does not chew the cud, it is unclean for you. You must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. Isn't this an enlightening scripture? Right? The next one is this. Of all the creatures living in the water or the seas and the streams that you may eat, any that have fins and scales. But all creatures in the seas or streams that do not have fins and scales, whether among all the swarming things or among all the other living creatures in the water, you are to regard as unclean. And since you are to regard them as unclean, you must not eat their meat, you must regard their carcasses as unclean. Anything living in the water that does not have fins and scales is to be regarded as unclean by you. Who here had shrimp last night? Oh, more, tonight, more in this service than last service, okay? I read all this to make you feel guilty. Is it working? No, okay, good. It's, um, it goes on from there, not just to talk about the animals of the land and the fish of the sea, but it goes on there actually to talk about the birds that you can eat and the ones you can't eat. It goes on from that point actually to even talk about the insects that you can eat and the ones you can't eat. Sounds enticing, doesn't it? And you think, why are we reading from this passage in Leviticus? Well, because it's not the passage we're really going to talk about. We're actually moving over to Acts chapter 10. And the reason we're doing this is I believe Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11 are hinge point scriptures that actually are, that they highlight a transition that's happening that God is about to take the church on. And it's about to kind of shake the world that exists. 
The passage in chapter 10 of Acts starts out with the story about a centurion who's a Gentile, a Roman centurion leader, military leader, who it says in that place in the beginning that he feared God. Now right away, I just got to stop there. It says this Roman centurion named Cornelius feared God and was spoken well of by the people. Now you remember in Israel at this time that this may have been a really good person, but he, re he represented the oppressor of the Romans. So he wasn't just a Gentile, he was kind of the icon of Gentiles, representing Roman military might and the oppression that the Jewish people felt. Significant. And, and basically he fell into some kind of trance or some way that it was communicated to him that as he was pursuing God, God said, I need you to send messengers to Joppa to find this guy named Peter or Simon. He's staying with another guy named Simon called Simon the Tanner. You go to his house, you get Peter because he has some words for you that you're going to need to listen to. So Cornelius sent his messengers to Simon the Tanner's house. While the messengers are on their way, Peter, who had been doing all this traveling and all this work for the church up at this point, stayed with his friend Simon in Joppa. And while he was waiting for dinner around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he goes up to the rooftop and basically takes a nap. I mean, if you're my age, it really starts to ring true. Somewhere around 2.30 or 3 in the afternoon, when I'm looking at my computer screen, my eyes start to fold into the top of my head. There is something that I need, I just have to lay down. And I, my, I have a home office and there's a bed right by, it's really convenient. I just roll into it and 10 minutes, I'm a new person. Okay? But I need to take that nap. And so you got Peter who's up on the rooftop taking a nap and while he falls asleep or falls into some kind of trance, there's a sheet that's lowered down in his trance and in it there are all kinds of animals and they are animals that are basically the ones that we read about in Leviticus that said don't eat from those. There are probably camels and pigs and hyraxes um, whatever, there was shrimp, there were other things that crawled in the ground, and there were other th all kinds of stuff. And Peter basically saw the sheet come down, and as it came down, the messenger from God said, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. The sermon is actually entitled, Three Small Words and Everything Changes. And the three small words are this simple. They're kill and eat. Because that, this little phrase is about to change everything that the church is about. This is big. So Peter sees the sheet, gets the message, arise Peter, kill and eat. And what's the first thing that Peter said? Basically knowing that he is a strict Jew and he follows the rules very carefully is reminded of these passages in Leviticus and his response is immediately a faithful response of a good Jew that says, Not so, Lord, for I have never let anything unclean touch my lips. 
That's pretty good. If I'm, you know, if I'm one who's following the rule book, I'm saying, woohoo, he passed the test. But the word comes back to Peter. The things that I've made clean, don't you call them unclean. What? Now, if I'm Peter, I'm looking at it and saying, well, how the heck am I supposed to know? This thing is changing everything. Peter was a good rule follower. He looked at the ceremonial, the ceremonial things of, of the Jewish tradition and he said, I follow them because they're the written word of God and I am a good Jew. It's kind of interesting that these ceremonial transitions and much of what we look at is actually something that we use to differentiate us. We use it actually to set us apart from others. It's the means by which we find out whether someone else qualifies or not. And in this case, Peter is saying, I'm the one who qualifies and the ones who eat this stuff don't. This happens three times. Sheet comes down, same thing. Peter says, not so. Word comes back, things I've made clean, don't you call unclean. It takes Peter three usually to get through to his head, you know? And so Peter all of a sudden responds to that, and he doesn't respond in any verbal way other than a knock comes on Simon the Tanner's door, and it's the messengers from Cornelius, and they're saying, hey, our guy who's the, who's the captain of the Roman cohort, he has sent us here because we were looking for someone named Peter because he is supposed to fill in the blanks for us. So Peter's just going downstairs, the messengers are there, and there's something, some kind of faith that was triggered in his life that just went, I think I need to see this through. I've got this vision, it's peculiar to me, and now there's this knock on the door. So, I, so, so basically Peter, it, it, it almost sense that he doesn't even hesitate, he said, I'm going to go back with them which represents another really, really deep problem in the Jewish tradition. Because he was never supposed to fellowship or associate with Gentiles in their homes. And so imagine what it was like for Peter to come to Cornelius' house, and then he's coming to Cornelius' house, he's stepping across a threshold that is actually breaking a tradition that is significant for him in terms of how he sees himself over and against others. You getting the picture? So this is a transition in Peter's life and he goes in and he meets with Cornelius and it's so amazing because one of the first things Cornelius does is Peter walks in and Cornelius bows down to him like this and Peter, and, and Peter all of a sudden goes, no, 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 Cornelius. And he raises him up. He says, no, don't bow to me for I am a man just like, what? Just like you. What self-important Jewish, Jewish leader at that time would make an identification with a Gentile leader of an oppressive government to say, you and I, we're the same. That's a transition. That's a challenge. Cornelius goes on to say, look, I, you know, I, I, I was told to send for you that you had a word for me. And as Peter started talking, the Holy Spirit fell on the whole place. It's amazing. 
And the Holy Spirit comes down, and Peter sees it, and it's a sign. And one of the things that he says in chapter 10 there, I think it's around verse 35 or 36, he said, I now realize. You know, when I had a Bible growing up, there was a caption on top of this whole story, and the caption read, The Conversion of Cornelius. But I actually think that caption was wrong. I actually think this was the conversion of Peter. Because Peter goes walking into, a new, into this place. A new thing is happening with him, and Peter is the one who goes, I thought this, but now I see this. Who's being converted? Peter. I now realize that God is not a respecter of persons. That's a whole new thing. Goes on to say that when the Holy Spirit fell, he says, what's to keep them from being baptized? They got the Holy Spirit just like we did, and they eat the wrong food. Starting to mess with his world. Peter goes through a personal transition here. And we see Cornelius ultimately coming into the kingdom as a response to this. It's an amazing thing. Now that's good for Peter. That's part of a transition. Chapter 10 is given to that whole story in the personal conversion of Peter. But chapter 11 is the interesting thing because that entire story gets told again in chapter 11, but this time the setting is different. Peter has to go back to the church in Jerusalem. Now, you get the picture, but it starts in the beginning saying the word of what Peter did spread to the church in Jerusalem. They all heard about it. And initially you'd think, oh, joy, that's a wonderful thing. No. See, the church in Jerusalem thought this whole thing, the, the, the whole thing with Christ and the resurrection and salvation for humanity would somehow be caught up in the cultural trappings that, that were part of the Jewish tradition. And they thought for sure that if you put a, put a little bit of Jesus in with a little bit of Judaism, that you're coming up with the perfect religion. Peter just messed with that model. Peter goes out and he goes into somebody. They said, you, you went into whose house, Peter? And so in verse 3 of chapter 11, there's a little sign there that just kind of says this, and that the leaders among the circumcision took issue with him. It's a little thing. You just catch it just briefly. They took issue with him. And I kind of look at the book of Acts a little bit like it's propaganda. It's, it's really kind of the best foot forward in the church, and I think it's trying to say, oh, they took issue with him. They had a church fight. That's what it was. And you can imagine how they were kind of going, at you, Peter, what did you do? When I do this with, um, with workshops and in groups of people, I actually set up round tables of, of people to be the church council so that Peter, and then somebody to play Peter at each table because I want them to have at this conversation. I want them to just play it out. Why? Because it's happening all the time in our churches. This thing has been played out over and over and over. That's why I believe it's a hinge point for the church. It's right at this point that is where the transition is happening and the whole thing is beginning to shake. I mean, they've had other things too. They took a bad offering and some people died, that kind of stuff. But 
there's other things that are going on that are pretty tough, and this is just finally exploding the whole thing. And so this is kind of, this is kind of interesting. Wow, we look at the book of Acts and we just want to say, oh, if we could be like the book of Acts. Really? It's filled with this stuff. It's filled with transition. Peter goes ahead and tells them the whole story about what happens. And as he goes ahead and tells them the whole story in the book of Acts, by the time you get to the end of his storytelling, it says that the believers in Jerusalem all rejoice. Oh, great, now the Gentiles are in. And God has opened it up to everybody. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, I don't think so. It's changed, it changed the potlucks significantly. Okay? It changed other things significantly. But because the, this group of people was hoping to define itself over and against the other, it shook their world. And this shaking is very important in understanding what transitions are about. There's a guy who wrote a book called, it called Transitions about 20 years ago. His name is William Bridges. And there's a couple things in the book that I think are really helpful for me. But right in the beginning he says this. It's really not change that's the problem. Change happens all the time. But it's the transitions that'll kill you. He says, for changes are chronological. They just happen. At various points, we change. We're, I am not the same person I was 20 years ago. I've been going through changes. Okay? And, and at, six, at 65, have mercy, um, I'm... I, I, I'm, life is a lot different for me. I go through generations. When I was 40, I, you know, I was cool. At 50, I think, okay, because 50, I could look and say, okay, it's 60. It's still going to be good. But 60, you can't make 70 look that good anymore. Am I right? Thank you. We don't have a whole lot of them here, but there's a witness. Hallelujah. Okay? <laughs> okay? Because you recognize there's change going on. But it's not the change that's the problem, but there are transitions that happen in us. And they, transitions, are emotional. And what happened in Peter is not just a transition in his life, but it's also a transition in the life of the church and the, and the, and the foundation shake. When William Bridges wrote his book, he, he identified three parts of a transition. And the three parts is an ending and a new beginning. Okay, so right in this area is a new begin, beginning. So, um, in fact, I'm trying to think of the name of the group that sang the song, um, but it, it, it was, um, came out of the 90s, I think. It was closing time. Every new beginning starts with some other beginnings. And you ever hear that one? Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a song about transition. Okay? And it's a song about life. But what happens is you don't just automatically go from what was to what will be. You're stuck in this place called the liminal space or the neutral zone. It's in between. And when you're in between, nothing seems to make sense. Everything seems to be a little up for grabs. You're not sure what you can count on. You thought back here it was all good and that's the way it was. But something hits you, something strikes you, and it becomes somewhat disillusioning. I thought it was this. I made my deals with God back here. I had a transactional relationship with God back here. But what I found is it's not working right now. 
There's got to be something more. There's got to be something different. And yet you're in that space because you think the promised land is out here. I'm heading there. That's a good thing. But this in-between really sucks. It shakes us. What does this have to say to us? Well, it, it's, it's not only what it had to say to the church back there or what it had to say, Peter, but it has to say something to New Community Covenant Church right now. You're in the midst of a transition. What it looks like, we don't know what that promised land is. But we know we're in this space. And the things that we've been able to count on all along are shaking. We're not in that space anymore. And it feels odd and it feels hard. But here's the interesting thing about the liminal space. It's where faith is really developed. Remember faith, that faith thing? That's the substantiating of things hoped for, even though the evidence isn't with us. It's right here. We hold on in faith because we know God is faithful. That's what's about to happen to the church here in the book of Acts, and it's about what's, to, what's going to be happening to you as a congregation as you work through transition. And I think that's important. So it raises, for me, it raises three key questions. And I think this story raises these questions. It's important for you as an individual, and important for you as a congregation, and for me to understand what's really going on. There are three key conversations that happen, and the first one that we read about is a conversation with God. The conversation that Peter has with God is pretty much marked by basically the things that God is showing us when he says God and Peter are in it. No, I've ne never let anything unclean touch my lips. And God says, the things I've made clean, don't you call unclean. It's harsh. But it's, I, I think Peter was the kind of personality that just needed to be shook. And Peter was shaken by it. And so that harshness is really, really strongly, strongly connected with him. A conversation with God. Where is God challenging you in your life right now? Challenging you out of the comfort of what you've always counted on and believed, and your world is shaking, and you're in the midst of it. This is, in a sense, depending on your definition of prayer, it's more than just prayer. Uh, prayer is great, and maybe if your definition opens up like this, but it is the sense that as I am in the world step by step, God is communicating with me often, and I'm communicating with God all the time. I, I walk out the door, and it, there's just something in me that keeps going, God, what are you doing now? What's happening around me? It's really important. It's critical. Where is that conversation going on with you and God? Where's that conversation going on between the church collectively and God right now? Man, there couldn't be a more important time for that to be happening. The second thing is that we need a conversation with the other. And I'm not call, talking about a conversation with the other that identifies them as being something else. Or I, I grew up in a tradition that viewed the world extremely dualistically. The good people are in here, the bad people are out there. The only engagement with the bad people is to try to make them become like us. But what was interesting about Cornelius is God had already visited him. Peter didn't bring anything new other than some words. 
because God was already moving. Where is God moving out here right now? God is there. God's at Pitchfork right now. Where, 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 are, we con where are we seeing that? How are we connecting with that? That's what I'm talking about. So there's a conversation with the other. Tell me about your world. Tell me about what's going on. One of the key things that I ever learned in evangelism was a simple question with people outside that just goes, what are you thinking about God? Do you know people aren't afraid of that question? We, you know, sometimes we get insular. We, we get in our world and we go, oh, they don't care about it. No, they do. They think about it all the time. And it can become really insightful to us to find out what is, what is the conversation with the other. The third conversation that happens in here is a conversation with the church. So as you experience these former conversations, when we are together, the collective body is actually the culmination of all of us in our conversations with God and the other coming to back saying, what are we discerning about all this together? What does this look like? We, we look at Book of Acts and we say, okay, it would be great at the end of Acts chapter 11 where they, come, where they come and they say, and they all glorified God together. Did they? Because it's really at this hinge point that you start to see that the church in Jerusalem has one more big council in it because it starts to decrease and decline and Antioch starts to move. An old mentor of mine, a professor at Fuller Seminary, Bill Pinnell, actually said it this way. He said, when Jerusalem can't flex, the spirit moves up to Antioch. That's pretty tough. And I wonder for us as the church these days, when we can't flex, is the spirit moving somewhere else? And we have to figure out what that is and how to get in touch with that. And we think, okay, that's something to say for Jerusalem. But even Peter himself, Peter goes through this whole thing and you think, okay, because of Cornelius, Peter's got it right forever. Except that he goes to Antioch and there are two sets of people having potlucks there and the Jews have their thing and the, and the Gentiles have their thing and Peter goes and hangs out with the Jews and Paul was there at the same place and said, Peter, don't do that. The things that God has torn down, don't you build them up again. He said, I had to, re I had to uh, basically reprove him publicly in front of everybody because he was doing damage to the gospel. So anytime you think you've got it, keep working on it. That's, that's what I'm doing. 66 years old, 65, whatever. I don't even know how old I am. Um, but I mean, the, but, but the whole point is that, man, this is the excitement of faith as it engages the world. And as we're in the midst of these transitions and we're thinking through and looking at all these things, we're actually to say, able to say, where is our conversation with God? Where is our conversation happen, happening with those out there? Where is our conversation happening in the church that actually moves our, us to be able to move where the Spirit is moving. That's what we're asking. That's what we're looking for. And I pray for New Community Covenant Church as I work with your leadership team and you're in this time of transition. And I pray for all of us that we are able to respond to what it is that God is doing 
in ways that actually look and say our, most, our best and our most mature days are actually coming ahead of us. And I think that that's the hope we have and the hope you have as a church. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. As Peter was speaking, I shared this a bit this morning with you. When he asked, who's having these conversations? Who are we having conversations with? There were many things that struck a chord into my heart. As some of you may have known, I've been gone the last few weeks. Uh, my family experienced a very sudden, uh, a very devastating death of a, a very close loved one. And through this time of transition, as you put it, I just happened to be personally going through something. And this death only exacerbated everything that was happening. And to say that it's been hard would be an understatement. Uh, I'm in a place where I've never been before, a place where it's unfamiliar to me. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. But the beautiful thing is that God knows. And so that's where all my conversations have been. As everyone else is talking, everyone has an opinion, everyone has feelings, everyone has prayers, all of which I appreciate. God's voice is the one that needs to be the loudest. And so this song just says, here's my heart, Lord, speak what is true. As I was praying over a set this week, that has been my prayer. It's been my family's prayer that God would speak, that his voice would be louder than anybody else's. Because his is the only one that matters.